0: Squatters, 36 seconds into the overtime. All right. Oh, let's go! Tristan Robbins bangs away at it second time. Let's lose it behind the It's in the net. The Blades going to
1: the net. They
2: take it in. It's three nothing. San
0: Antonio. Blades uncut. And we're back. Okay,
2: Les well, is two weeks older since our last episode. Don't of Blade's rub uncut. it in, kid. Just
0: don't yeah. rub it in. Setting a new record <laughs> for consecutive days alive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? yeah, Do that day after day yeah. after day. Uh, Thanks
2: very day much. Day after day. Episode yeah. 37 is officially launched. My name is Mitch Bonk, the host alongside Les Lazzarick, the voice of the Blades, Coming to you from the CJWW Radio headquarters, which will soon be changing from the looks of it. Your desk is slowly going through a bit of a moving process.
0: Yeah, You're- my 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 cubicle has been downsized. I had two desks in the area because at one time I had a second person alongside of me, but right. that person is long gone now, and so that desk was finally taken out and utilized somewhere else in the building. And that's until next month. By the time we get yeah. around to episode forty, we will be recording these from. Our brand new digs, out by Global, out by the Saskatoon Inn, up on the north up on Robin Crest. in yes, the north, yeah. up up there, not far from the airport. Okay. Yeah,
2: easy access to the SaskTel Center from there. Much easier, yes, yeah. yeah, excellent stuff. Okay, well, Original Sixteen, of course, is always the sponsor here. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they'll. Gladly jump on board, even though our venue might be changing, and you know the the quality the quality of these episodes won't be changing because I know Panky's also a part of this whole moving process. You yeah, know it's up in the air, Panky. Yep. back for another episode. Yoo <laughs> Episode thirty seven, of <laughs> course, brought to you as always by Original Sixteen. A lot to get to. Less. Let's start off with some big news that happened just over a week ago the Priestner Sports Corporation, the Priestner family, of course, yep. purchasing the ownership rights of the Saskatchewan Rush. This is great news for any Blades fan, great news for fans of the Saskatchewan Rush. This essentially just opens the door for a lot of partnerships, whether it be corporate, whether it be scheduling partnerships, events.
0: Yeah, it would allow them to be kind of co- uh, you know, joined together almost to a large degree to be able to give you the best possible service and the best possible options. And I think just the fact that the one ownership group has both franchises will allow for scheduling of games in key times and key yeah. dates to be done a little more readily and a little easier because the ownership will be looking out for both of them not one ownership group and one ownership yeah. group and coming you know to grips at times with one another based on wanting the same sort of a date and you know having a little bit of a yeah. Scrap. Yeah. <laughs> there I say well, yeah. there, I mean there were there were times where you'd kind of go, Well, I want that date. No, I want that day. Well, everybody wants premier dates. Exactly. Right? Exactly. It does. So, so this takes this away. Having
2: it all under the same umbrella just makes it a little easier, a little right. bit more peaceful, and Absolutely. Our fans will benefit from it. Might have to get the monster truck out there on the ice sometime. Oh. We'll see. Sure, we'll see. Yeah. But yeah, no, that's uh, that's big news that I know the Priestner family is extremely excited about. Good. We, as uh, Blades organization too, uh, couldn't be more thrilled with having this uh, new partnership uh, with the Saskatchewan Rush. It'll be great. A mm-hmm. lot of questions have yet to be answered, but as time progresses closer to the hockey season, closer to the National Lacrosse League season, we will receive those answers and our fans will certainly see the difference too. So right. It'll be great. Yes. It'll be great. But be back good. onto the ice. Okay, a lot... To recap, over the last week, Wyatt McLeod. How about his career and the trajectory it's on since graduating from the Junior Hockey League?
0: Yeah, I texted him after he uh, signed with the uh, Utah Grizzlies of the East Coast League, congratulating him. And then uh, <laughs> six days later, he's he's signing on with the Colorado Eagles of the American <laughs> League. So, you know, like holy smokes, kid! Uh, what's what's going on? Good for you. Uh, yeah. That's that's outstanding. And I mean, he was a pillar of strength for the Blades during the uh, during the hub in Regina. Never got to meet him face-to-face, but certainly spoke with him a few times, either on this podcast or on pregame shows going into games. Yep. A, a quality young man, a, a very good defenseman. I mean, he was, you know, along with Rhett Reinhardt, Naden Delagorjeandier, and Charlie Wright, the guys that kind of led the defense. Yep. And he played at times when Reinhardt was suspended or there was an injury to Delagorjeandier at the end. He would yep. be playing upwards of 30 minutes plus in a game. So uh, he had himself a great hub. Uh, it was good to see him get reunited with Ryan Marsh for those 24 games. Mm-hmm. And now, good for him, he's getting an opportunity to uh, get himself some professional experience and see where his hockey career takes him. And I hope it takes him eventually to the show, as it were.
2: Yeah, well, like you say, Les, just a great young man yep. who's got his head on his shoulders. And it's mm-hmm. great to see a, a quality gentleman such as Wyatt McLeod earn the opportunities that he's been given. He's already dressed in five games with Utah in the ECHL. He's got two assists next mm. to his name. He does have yet to make his AHL debut with the Colorado Eagles, but in signing his professional tryout, it makes me think that it's just a matter of time before he is given that shot. And, you know, he's he's a versatile defenseman. Like you say, he can slot in next to really anyone. He took time alongside Tanner Molendyke, mm-hmm. and he... uh had great things to say about Tanner Mullendyke. and yeah. I know Blades, uh, Blade City is certainly excited to see where his career takes him. But uh yeah, Wyatt McLeod, he was a two-year assistant captain with the Edmonton Oil Kings, goes to show the leadership traits that he also brings. And I know that his his brain is just a sponge for all things hockey. So best of luck to Wyatt. We're I think we're going to have to have him on at some point over the off season. I know we've already had him on this podcast a few times, and our fans have real have familiarized themselves with what mm. Wyatt is all about. And um uh, maybe I'll just have to send him a text one yep. of these days and see uh, you. know, see how things are going. Maybe line him up for a couple of weeks from now, just to check in. Doesn't have to be a big throw thing or anything like right. that. But I think our fans would enjoy hearing from him. Yes. Another guy who graduated, of course. Okay.
0: Well, that's, let, let me interject here. <laughs> and say to you, Mitch Bach, as Director of Communications for the Saskatoon Blades, what a great job you did oh. in putting that video tribute together over the weekend, detailing the legacy, of the five-year legacy of Chase Waters as a Blade. Six-year, actually, because he actually did play some games as a 15-year-old. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, that's in the video. And then moving on through his five years with the team, specifically his three years as a captain and all the great accomplishments that he had. And, of course, in his three years as a captain, the Blades would have been a playoff team all three years. They've only been officially been in the playoffs the once in his 18-year-old year. Yeah, But they would have been in the playoffs – in it's 2020, yeah. and it would have been in the playoffs this year had there been a playoff. So that's quite the thing to be able to say. A three-year captain, the first one ever yeah. in franchise history, and to be in the playoffs all three years, whether it happened or not, mm-hmm. doesn't matter. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah, They were there, and it's a lot to do with what he was able to bring to the franchise as a player, as a conduit between the coaching staff and the team and doing an outstanding job on that.
2: If there's one guy who has a very bright future ahead, who's come from a Blades organization, Chase Waters is going to be leaps and bounds magnified up there in the upper echelon. I'm surprised he hasn't been given an opportunity in the ECHL, but I know that he's also taking it very seriously with what his future looks like. Yes. He's looking at all options. And I know that whatever decision he makes will be the best decision for him.
0: Now, I know that U Sports is going to be an option for him. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's a five-year guy with the Western Hockey League. So, he would have upwards of five years. I mean, he could have his entire university career looked after as far as tuition and books by the Western Hockey League's uh, scholarship uh, Mm -hmm. program. Um, I know that another former Blades captain who just last week was named an assistant coach with the U of S Huskies, Derek yeah. Hulak. Mm-hmm. He and Chase spent a fair amount of time together in this past year, prior to this last hockey season. And Derek Hulak has nothing but great things to say <laughs> about Chase Waters. So you know where that sort of a thing could go down the line. Put two and two together. I don't have to tell yeah, you that. Yeah. What, what could possibly happen? But Derek Hulak also said to me, he deserves talking about Chase Waters, deserves an opportunity to play professionally. And I wholeheartedly agree because Derek, who likes one smart cookie, let me tell you.
2: Well, from what I understand, Chase has the ability to go out and flex his professional opportunities for one full season. Yes, he does. And then he still has access to the entirety of his scholarship fund for next fall. So that'd be fall of 2022. Mm -hmm. But I think our listeners are picking up what you're putting down
0: here, Yes, there you go.
2: He might not be too far from Saskatoon in no (laughs) time. (laughs) Exactly. All right, let's shift gears and remind our listeners that not only is this episode 37 of Blades Uncut brought to you by Original 16. But it's also a presentation of Tin Center Saskatoon. It's Saskatoon's premier window film provider. Visit them at tincenter.ca or 683 3456 and with 32 degrees the last couple of days less. I'm sure Tint wouldn't be too bad. No,
0: good, your, idea. Right? good idea, right? Although <laughs> that's going away here quickly. By the time by the time <laughs> this know. podcast hits the is dropped on Thursday at four o'clock. There will probably be snow in the forecast. How crazy is that? You go from 32 degrees Monday down to a high of plus 6, I think, on Thursday? Mm -hmm. That's
2: nuts. That's about right. That's But that's Saskatchewan. That is Saskatchewan, and it's May as well. And, of course, it's
0: May long coming up, so Mm. who wouldn't expect a little bit of snow in the forecast? Uh, Absolutely. So your plans for camping and et cetera, you're going to be a little frosty. Better bring yeah. a few extra layers <laughs> if you're doing that sort of thing. Bring the electric blanket. That's right. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. All right. Have you had a chance to watch any of the NHL playoffs? Quite a bit, yes. Yeah? Yeah. Good. From what I understand, there's two Blades alumni that are competing for the Stanley Cup. So that we know. Okay. I, so I can't think I know, of anybody and else. Maybe I'll throw this out to our listeners to correct us if yeah. we are wrong because I went through the rosters and from what I understand, it's just two and it's two former Blades who are going head to head against one another. Yep, Braden Shen mm-hmm. and Jared Bednar with the Colorado Avalanche. So that's hey. St. Louis versus Colorado. Yep,
0: correct. Yeah, it is. Oh yeah. Okay, just well, making sure you're looking like you're questioning no, me. No, I'm for not a questioning second. you. Okay. No, no, it's it's like, Colorado. Thought, uh, it's Colorado and St. Louis. It's uh, and I mean, you take a look, Braden Shen, and you've got the numbers from the from game one. And of course, at the yeah. time that we're recording this, Wednesday at noon. Game two of that series will be played Wednesday evening, so yeah. by the time this drops, there will be two games into the series, and it'll either be 2 nothing Colorado or a series even at one win apiece. But yeah. Shen had a tough night. He was minus Dead. three in game one against the Avalanche and also got himself into a pretty dandy scrap Rocked. with Avalanche t- uh, captain Gabriel Landeskog. And Gabriel Landeskog's a tough contender. He, yeah. so.
2: Credit to Braden; he's also a tough guy going after Landeskog and how that all unfolded. But if there's any reason for St. Louis, specifically Braden Shen, to bounce back with a bit of fire lit under them, it's certainly tonight, Wednesday night, yep. in Game Two. So yes. by the time you're listening to this, the result will already have gone, you know, have gone out the wayside, yep. and we would know who the victor of, of Game Two is. Wouldn't surprise me if it's if it's a tied series heading into this May long weekend. Yes, I wouldn't be surprised either. But Jared Bednar, you know, you got to tip your cap to him. He's obviously fueled a winning culture there in Denver, Colorado. He's now in his fifth season mm-hmm. with the Avalanche coached the Avs to a 39-13-4 record, first in the West Division, had a fairly lengthy winning streak going into the playoffs, and, of course, manhandled St. Louis 4-1 in Game 1. So that'll be very interesting. Meanwhile, how about Winnipeg versus Edmonton, Les? I know that this is a series you're going to be hawkeyeing for lack of a better term.
0: Very much so, uh, but I don't know that it's going to last all that terribly long. I mean, in my heart of hearts, I want to see the Winnipeg Jets go all the way and win the Stanley Cup. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's possible, uh, especially with some of the people that they've still got out of the lineup and I'm going to start playing that injury card, but they got three pretty key forwards that, either may or may not be in the lineup. Certainly Pierre-Luc Dubois, whom they acquired for Patrick Laine from Columbus, not likely to be in game one lineup. He hasn't practiced, so it's highly unlikely that he's in the lineup. Uh, Nick Ehlers was injured late in the season. He's wearing a yellow non-contact jersey. I mean, he might be the most underrated jet forward and would certainly be a big help to them, scoring 20-plus goals this season. And then another one was Andrew Kopp, another unheralded forward who plays a pretty good defensive game. And against all the firepower that the Edmonton Oilers have, Guys like that would be huge to be able to go up against McDavid, yep. Seidel, Nugent Hopkins, et cetera. Yep. Um, my my wish is that the Jets would find a way to beat Edmonton and then beat Montreal in the second round because that would really be great mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. find a way to win give rounds three and four and win the Stanley Cup in 16 games. Yep. Sure, it could happen if they had everybody going. But I don't think they have everybody going. And unfortunately, I think that uh, this is going to be a quick series that McDavid, Dreisaitl, et cetera, will romp. And the Jets will be lucky to win a game. A game. Out of this series. Uh, It could end up being like it was so many times in the 80s during Jets 1.0, where they would get knocked out by Edmonton in four straight games. Well, I think you're onto something. And there's a lot of similarities. Yeah. Gretzky, Curry, the defense isn't quite the same, and definitely the goaltending isn't the same. Grant yeah. Fuhrer yeah. is far better than Mike Smith will ever be. I'm sorry, Mike. Paul Coffey and Kevin Lowe and Charlie Huddy, a much better defensive group. They actually could play defense too compared to some yeah. of the some of the current Oiler players that are on defense. Tyson Berry's okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Darnell Nurse is okay, but they're not superstars. They're
2: not consistently great.
0: No, yeah. and that's where the the downfall is, and that's where the Jets have to try and overcome. I just don't think it's going to happen. I think McDavid and et cetera are, are just going to steamroll them, and it's going to be done in four or five games. I think, especially
2: considering the last few years, McDavid in the playoffs, he's got he, – he doesn't he have anything to prove. We know just how great he oh. is, and we, we know that him, along with Dreisaitl and some of the other forwards that you mentioned, they're entering these playoffs looking to prove something. McDavid, we know what we're going to get with McDavid. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay? We don't know exactly what we're going to get out of guys like Ryan Nugent-Hopkins. Nope. Leon Dreisaitl, we'll see how he competes in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But I think if Edmonton does want to really leave a in, I, I do like the prediction. I do think Edmonton's going to win this first round. Into the second and the third round, the depth really needs to come alive. They And won't, the goaltending. They aren't
0: going to get past round two.
2: Probably not. Unless Montreal somehow... Who knows?
0: Then all of a sudden, I become an Oiler fan.
2: <laughs> How scary <laughs> we'll is that? See. We'll see.
0: Yikes. Okay,
2: plenty more to get to. Of course, we have Josh Nichols coming on Maybe. here momentarily. Uh, I know that you know Nick quite well. We, we've actually got to give him a call here right away. Yep. Um, I did just send him a message saying, okay, we're running a little bit behind because we also have to recap the trade request from last week. Yes. Okay? So the question was... And we, touch on this, uh, we touched on this a little bit in yep. the video tribute that the Blades pushed out. Now, it was clearly an amazing moment when Colin Priestner, the GM of the Blades, told Chase that the team was going to lift his number 44 to the rafters, joining five other numbers in retirement. So the question was to name the five other numbers, and the six names Waters will eventually
0: join when his number is retired. Les? Les? Well, there's two guys with number seven. Jerry Pinder, the original Blade superstar scorer, along with Brent Ashton, who also wore seven. Number 10, the great Brian Scroodland, one of the great captains in National Hockey League history. Mm-hmm. Bob Bourne, as speedy a player as there was in the NHL back in the 70s, playing for the New York Islanders. The incomparable Wendell Clark, yeah. wearing number 22. It goes without saying. And, of course, arguably the greatest Blade of all time, certainly among the greats as far as scoring goes, number 15, Bernie Federko.
2: We gotta get Bernie on this podcast. Bernie would be great on this <laughs> we podcast. We really do. Okay, well, we had a lot of correct answers mm. as well, so congratulations to all for getting this, because it took a lot of research. We're gonna give this one to Jason Ryder, who says he's a longtime listener, a first-time answer, so congratulations, Jason. I'll be in touch in the next couple of days and send you off a promo code for a $20 discount at the Frozen Pawn. Stock up this summer. I know Kim and the rest of the admin The store has really taken on a new shape, a new look, and there's a lot of great merchandise coming for this summer as well. So Jason, congratulations. Stay tuned for an email with your promo code. We'll be in touch, and we'll also have a new trivia question coming up after our chat with Josh Nichols. And Josh, of course, is a five-year blade. Mm. He's got a long career, over 330 games. And Les, I know you've got a lot you can say about Josh, so why don't you take it away?
0: Yes, Mitch Bach, it is great to have alongside a guy, and you you mentioned it, 330-plus games as a Saskatoon Blade. Let me put it into more relevant terms as to what this guy accomplished. He was a second-round pick in the Bantam draft, 27th overall in 2007. 332 games played, second most behind only Paul Butchkowski. 138 goals, these are all regular season numbers, 6th best in franchise history, hmm. 175 assists, tied for 11th, 313 points, 6th best in franchise history, 14 shorthanded goals, Okay. 2nd in franchise history, and 17 game-winning goals, which is 10th in franchise history. And, of course, you gave the put, took the cat out of the bag earlier, Mitch, by saying it was Josh Nichols. And it is Josh Nichols who joins us from the Vancouver area on the Blades Uncut podcast. And it is so good to hear your voice, young man.
1: Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure to be on here, guys. Uh, thanks for having
0: me. You know, these intros keep getting better, Less, I think it's
2: the first time you've actually rattle off franchise records to that magnitude. Well, <laughs> because, okay, but... You know, granted.
0: But there's a reason. Yeah. But there's a reason. Of course. This is the guy with the best stats of any Blades player in the 21st century since 2000 and onward. Those numbers are all the best amongst anybody who has donned a Blades jersey since the year 2000.
1: So <laughs> that, That's know? pretty crazy. I didn't know that. I, so. Mean, I mean, so does that? <laughs> Thanks what is... for rattling those off to start this podcast.
0: Yeah, <laughs> well, no, no problem. But what does that mean to you when you hear that sort of a
1: thing? You know, I'd honestly, when you guys contacted me beyond, it brought me back to those days. And honestly, those five years were an incredible experience for me, both on and off the ice. So just hearing those and to hear the things that I did accomplish in those times were, you know, obviously something I didn't think about it at the moment. But hearing them now, uh, it's pretty special.
2: Josh, before we started off this podcast, Les was giving you a bit of a ribbing (laughs) because of where you're living (laughs) and you're single right now what's you know les can't believe it what's going on
1: <laughs> well les is joking you know he's, he goes you've been traveling everywhere you've been all over the world like you got to be settled down and married now 29 years old i told him maybe that's the reason why i am single is all the traveling and stuff so uh, no i'm i'm very happy where i am right now uh, very lucky to be living the life that i am so I'm in a good spot right now.
2: Excellent. Well, yeah. Take us through what uh, you know your your life kind of entails right now. I know just going through a little bit of the, bit of the research. you were recently playing overseas. What's what is life like right
1: now? Uh, right now, I just uh, moved into an apartment in downtown Vancouver. Um, I just got out of my quarantine. I was spending my quarantine uh, with my family. I just got back from Germany, so I spent the two weeks with my family, which was really nice and now back in the city and just kind of trying to enjoy uh life until the next season gets going.
0: Tell me who you're playing with in Germany. Cause I can't pronounce that.
1: Yeah. I went to uh, the Halbrunner Falcon. Um, it was a great experience. Uh, second time in Germany. So, uh, you know, with COVID and stuff, it changed the experience a bit, but, uh, it was a great group of guys and we had quite the crazy end to our season, which, uh, I guess I'll tell you guys. So we, we, we had this crazy run. I signed with the team halfway through the year, um, last-place team. We battled it. We, we went through a coaching change during my time there, battled through all the COVID stuff, and battled to eighth place. Half our team got COVID with two games left in the season. Whoa. Had two weeks off. They canceled the regular season, went straight to playoffs, played the number one team with half of our roster. For game one, up 4 nothing in the first period. <laughs> We ended up losing that game six to four and then got slept. So that was about the end of our season there in Germany, but it was a great time and, and uh, I was happy with the experience. <laughs> okay. So like <laughs> crazy hockey time. Yeah, wow. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: You didn't have COVID, did you?
1: Okay. So I had COVID at the start of the season. So I started the season in Russia with uh red star and I got COVID basically immediately as oh. I got there and, spent my uh, quarantine and COVID situation in a hotel in Russia. So that was also quite the experience.
2: You know, well, that's interesting because we had Darren Dietz on a few months ago and he had a similar story where right at the beginning of the season, his whole team also came down with COVID. Have you been in touch with Darren at all?
1: Yeah. So I saw Darren um, my first year in in the KHL, they came to China and I saw him after the game. We had a good chat. And then um, this past season, at uh, the start of the year, we went to Kazakhstan, and I didn't get to see him after the game, but um, it was nice to see a familiar face. And when I did talk to him, he was doing great, and I actually did hear, uh, listen to his podcast here with you guys. So it was cool to hear his side of some of the KHL stories.
0: Kunlun Red Star, you mentioned based in China. Where in China and what's the atmosphere when you have fans? I don't know if you had fans or not. What's the atmosphere like for a game there?
1: Yeah, so... Um, my first year I was there, I spent the three seasons with the organization. My first year, we were based out of Shanghai, and we would travel into Russia or the other countries to play every game but um shanghai that living in Shanghai was an incredible time. I loved that city. it was a lot a lot of great things to do. We had a great group of guys there, so you know like my my experience overseas i 've lived in so many crazy places that like I feel really blessed and lucky to like experience living in China russia all these places but um hockey in china was kind of a we started there to kind of grow the game building up to the olympics here and um the crowds were getting bigger and there's a lot of passion behind it and it's exciting to see what the future has with hockey in china for sure
2: you know myself and i think a lot of our listeners don't really know what the differences between hockey and china would be as compared to here obviously we live and breathe hockey in canada is it how much has it grown since you know since you first got introduced to the game out there
1: um Shanghai, we didn't really see too much of like the hockey side of things, but the next season we did move to Beijing where the team plans to be all the time, and oh, okay at the rinks, there's always coaches out there with young kids. I think the younger generations are really into it, and there's been a lot of growth there and um it's just been a really cool experience though seeing. You know, young Chinese kids passionate about the game of hockey because, you know, come from Canada, you're kind of used to that. So when you go to a, a huge country like China, you're in Asia. And as, a, as an Asian player, it's a pretty cool experience to, uh, you know, kind of help build the game around the world.
0: I was going to say, because Beijing's going to host the Winter Olympics, and of course, hockey is going to be a big part of the Olympics. Uh, even if there is or isn't NHL participation, it doesn't matter. That's still going to be a big deal, having hockey in the Olympics in China to help grow the game even further.
1: Yeah, for sure. And like I said, that team was kind of there to, you know, kind of build some interest around it and build a a potential team for the Olympics there. So, you know, with COVID, there is still a lot of unknown about the whole situation, but, you know, it it definitely is a cool experience.
2: Of the numerous countries you've played in, Josh, (laughs) (laughs) which one was the most, I guess, culturally different compared to playing here in, in Canada?
1: Um, I, it has to be uh, uh, Shanghai and, and living in Russia has been the craziest difference. Um, yeah. I will tell a funny story, though. Like When I first went over to Europe, I went to Germany, and as soon as I got there, that's probably when I had the biggest culture shock, honestly. I got to my hotel. I was in Straubing, which was kind of like an older Bavarian German city or town, I would say. And I had the biggest culture shock of my life. I was I was calling everyone at home like I don't know what I'm doing. Am I going to survive here? <laughs> Basically, um, so that experience really like I was like getting thrown into the deep end. And then ever since then, I've just really uh, embraced the, the new cultures and the you know unknowns of where my journey will take me. And it's been a great experience to to live in so many places. But I think cultural difference would definitely be living in China and living in Russia is where you feel it the most for sure.
2: Last question before we get into your junior hockey career how did you make the transition overseas? Everyone it seems has an interesting story how their opportunity overseas comes up was yours fairly interesting and unique in a way?
1: Yeah it was kind of out of nowhere so I was playing in Colorado um, in the ECHL it was my fourth year pro and our, we had a great team there. It was an unbelievable experience that I had uh playing in that organization and, and in Colorado and um halfway through the season, um, the Straubing Tigers in the Germany league had contacted me. They had an injury and they needed an import to come in uh for the rest of the season in playoffs and on that team were a bunch of guys uh that play in the WHL, guys like Colton Job, Keve, Austin the Dicey, all guys I grew up playing with and were pretty close with were on the team and they kind of recruited me to come and finish the year and I knew that I did want to go to overseas at some point but I did not think it that early and you know kind of within two days I just kind of made the decision just to get over there and and start my journey there so it's kind of a something I just came out of nowhere and you know I'm kind of happy I did it.
2: Were parents fairly scared or what were they (laughs)
1: thinking at the time? (laughs) (laughs) I think they're excited I I don't know like I'd already been kind of out of the house obviously as a junior yeah. hockey as a hockey player you leave the house at 15 so it's kind of it's funny to say but whether it's germany or saskatoon or the u.s you're kind of you're gone for that time anyway so why not make it somewhere where you're going to get a crazy cool life experience as well
0: okay let's go back <laughs> to being a 15 year old and coming to saskatoon for your first training <laughs> yeah. camp. I don't remember much about your first training camp when you were 15 because I'm usually more geared into the guys that are actually going to be able to play as regulars on the team age 16 through 20. But for you, your first training camp,
1: what was that like? Uh, The things I remember about my first training camp was I lived with Ryan Funk for camp. He picked me up in a truck my mom was met him and was like, "Okay, like he's a nice guy. I uh, feel safe because my mom was like not wanting to let me go." And <laughs> we thought for that camp, I should probably live with a billet and see what it's like to get that experience while I'm that camp. So, live with Funker, and other than that, that's all I remember from that camp was just being probably 130 pounds at six two and getting run over and scared of everyone and just living with Funker and driving to the rink. And that, those are basically from my first camp, my two experiences.
0: Okay. So this takes me mm-hmm. to your 16 year old season. Mm-hmm. And again, I, a lot of my focus when I'm getting ready for a year is on the guys that I think are going to be on the team, or I want to find out who's going to be on the team. And I remember talking with Lauren Mulliken in the in, in the coach's office. I believe it was in Martinsville, if I'm not mistaken, there might've been a training camp there. Uh, talking with him and asking about certain guys making the team. When I asked about you, he says, a 16-year-old kid, he growled, basically. A 16-year-old kid is definitely going to make this team, and it's going to be this one, referring to you. <laughs> wow. What was it like? What was Lauren Mulliken like to you back then?
1: You know what? My first year is probably my favorite in the sense of I felt like a little kid, honestly. I felt like the little brother of the team that year, and Lauren was the dad and all the guys were kind of like, I wouldn't say I got bullied, but they all, they all loved to give it to me. I was like, just happy to be there. Basically Lauren was, I was, I was always scared of Lorne My first year I was, I didn't want to like <laughs> make him mad at me or anything. I just wanted to be like, it is good books. Um, he would always call me Indian Greyhound cause I was so skinny. I was like a skinny dog running around. <laughs> the guys the guy that first that first year would always tell me to like go get guys. They called me the runner. So if they had a meeting and they needed to say, like, they needed somebody, so go get Z from the room. I'd have to go sprint, get them back. Like, <laughs> it's all fun stuff like that my first year where I was just happy to be with the guys living away from home for the first time. Um, it was just a cool experience for sure that first year. And our team really, um, we didn't have many high expectations for that group, and we really, I think we won the division that year, and yep. we had a good playoff run, and, you know, guys like Holtby, and that, you know, we had a good team that, just really gelled together that whole year, so it was, a, it was an awesome experience as a 16 year old.
0: You mentioned Holtby, you mentioned Z, which is Darian Zerzinski. Uh, who else? Who, who was who were you close to in that first year?
1: Uh, for sure, Curtis Hamilton, Adam Morrison, Stefan Elliott, uh, Charles Inglis. Yeah. Holtby mm-hmm. was re- I was really close to Derek Kulak. Mm-hmm. Um, Adam Tornenko, I sat beside, he would probably have, he, he had my ear the most because he'd always be whispering random little things into my ear every time. And ha- as a 16-year-old, having the 20-year-old right beside you and, you know, there the everyday, it was a pretty cool experience. But honestly, Lester's, I could name everyone on that yeah. team. Like, mm-hmm. And over to my time there, I had so many close relationships with everyone there, and I feel truly blessed about that for sure.
2: We've had a couple of players from that team as well as the 2013 Mem Cup team on this podcast and we like to ask what is Brayden Holtby like and what was he like back then
1: you know what Holtz was maybe the biggest guy to help me feel like I was really a part of it so before before camps 16 17 and 18 year old years before camps I'd come uh, I'd come a couple weeks before camp and I would stay with Holtby And I like to go because I like to skate at like conditioning camp with all the guys from Saskatoon. And then we would always go to Folk Fest. And that was like our favorite kind of let loose. Like we're in the city without being on the blade yet. So we got to kind of just be regular guys there. And the first time we went to Folk Fest, Holtz, Holt, we get to the front and Holtz turns to me and gives me a bunch of cash and goes let's have a great time my friend and ever since then <laughs> we became really close and so many stories from those times on and it was always a must I had to go to Saskatoon a couple weeks early because I wanted to hang out with Holtz, Hulak, uh, Morrison and all those guys and enjoy Folk Fest in Saskatoon so ever since then um, Holtz has been like a good friend I actually haven't talked to him in a while and Mm-hmm. He's with the Canucks now, so hopefully I'll try and reach out and we can get out for a lunch or something.
0: You just answered my next question with regards to that. Okay, <laughs> so then we'll go to the next thing. Uh, take me back to your first career game with the Blades. What was that like? And h- tell me about your first career goal.
1: You know, unless I, I honestly don't even remember my first game, but oh. I, I do remember my first goal, and it was on... Uh, it was against Tri-City. It was on... Uh, I think it's Jet Picard or something like that, and I think I had the weakest shot ever. And I shot. I, I watched. I watched the game that when I was 16 years old. I couldn't believe like I was in that league. I it looked like I could barely have the strength to keep my two legs from standing up. Like, and I remember my goal. I turned and just shot it, and someone went post and posted it. I'll never forget it. And it was a good feeling to get that first one. But yeah, that that first year was a crazy experience for me of just being. I felt so young out there. and It was just so cool to be with those older guys playing hockey.
0: I rattled off all those individual stats, Josh, at the beginning. The fact is, though, is that for your five years, the years before, a couple of years before you started playing with the team, the Blades weren't a playoff team, but you were in the playoffs all five years that you played with the Saskatoon Blades. There aren't a lot of guys of recent vintage in the last 25, 26 years that can say that. Yeah. So... Gods, congrats to you for being maybe a good luck charm in that respect. <laughs> Talk about the twenty-year-old team, the, the, the Memorial Cup team. What was your role? What, what you were an alternate captain on the team, but what did you see as your role with that Blades team?
1: Yeah, I think as an overager, you are looked to for some leadership for sure. And I think in my kind of, I would say, style of leadership, it never changed from. I just tried to be who I was and that didn't change from 16 to 20 other than having a lot of experience in the league so you know as an older guy I really wanted to make sure that the 16 year olds had the kind of same experience that I did with all those older guys that treated me that way and you know made it such a positive experience and um, that was my big thing and obviously on the ice I needed to be the best or one of the best players every night and I, I really took that to heart and, Being a five-year player, it's it's a unique thing. And I felt a lot of pride in that year of, you know, I wanted to, at the end of the day, hoist the Memorial Cup with this team. I felt like that was, you know, you spent five years, so much, so many memories, so many guys that went through. And you get the chance to host the Memorial Cup in your 20-year-old year. year. I, I looked at it as a really special experience for me. And, you know, that's what kind of motivated me every day to come and work hard.
0: I've broadcast almost 2,000 Blades games in my career. Two of them that stand out for me with regards to you would be the Memorial Cup game against Halifax, which stands out for a lot of people, Mm -hmm. a 5-2 win over the eventual Memorial Cup champions. Tell me what you remember about that.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, Les, that that empty net goal was probably my favorite goal I scored as a Blade. (laughs) I think that... The feeling and the the energy from the crowd that night, and I think the belief from winning that game for our group was like we can win this memorial cup, and I'll never forget that moment of uh, just getting that victory, celebrating all the fans, throwing those uh like the, the clap hands or whatever on the ice <laughs> that was that was honestly my favorite goal that I scored and just a like a moment in Blake's history for myself for sure.
0: The other game that comes to mind, and I can't remember if it was in your 19-year-old year or if it was your 20-year-old year, but it was in Portland, and it was in the Old Glass Palace, where it was the Josh Nichols show essentially. Even though the team lost, but you had six yeah. points. You had six points, and I think you scored a shootout goal as well in a 7-6 shootout loss to the Winterhawks. Correct? Oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah,
1: that 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 one was a crazy game. That's when you know you, you got it on. I remember one of the goals. I shot it. I was aiming high glove, and it went low blocker. So that I'll tell you what kind of night I was.
0: <laughs> you, you had the Midas touch that night.
1: The hockey gods were with me, so I, I really didn't have much control. I, I, when that goal went in, I said, all right, it's out of my hands now. I'm just, I'm just showing up and playing. You Incredible. Know, a
2: moment that was recently brought to my attention, Josh, and you probably remember this, are you familiar with Ryan LaFontaine?
1: Brian LaFontaine, did he, he used to work with the Blades.
2: He did, yeah. He's got, we'll have some more fan submitted questions here, but he, after we threw it up on our social media channels that you were coming on, he wanted me to bring a specific goal to your attention, and that goal came New Year's Day of 2013. It was against Medicine Hat. You went between oh, yeah. the legs. Ha. Do you remember <laughs> that goal? I do.
1: Yes, I do remember that
2: goal. So, in the heat of the moment, did you... How did that all come to be? Because, like, uh, you know, in looking through, you know, looking at the replay of it, it all came together really quickly. Did you know what you were doing?
1: <laughs> you know what I? I do. A, if you if you're ever on the ice with me or seeing me in practice and stuff, I'm always doing like really goofy, like people get mad at me for not it looks like I'm not taking it seriously or doing something I wouldn't do in a game (laughs) but I truly am practicing it in practice to see if I could actually do it in a game so at some point I have to try it 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 has to work so I could justify doing these things in practice (laughs) so that was just a moment where I think it was New Year's Day. I, I think I had a little bit of a late night enjoying New Year's the night before. <laughs> not gonna lie. <laughs> and that game, I was just like, you know what? I it, it kind of happened. The, the way the play worked out was perfect to try it. So I figured, why not? And seeing it go in, it was just like a sigh of relief. Because if you miss any of those, you're kind of gonna get it. So yeah, I, I was just see, happy to see it go in. Yeah,
0: that was <laughs> going to be my 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 thought and question to you is okay. If that doesn't go in, and I think I probably even said it on air after you scored it, was it's a good thing it went in because if you come to the bench and you'd missed it, you probably would have heard about it from Lauren Mulliken. <laughs> Lauren would have said so.
1: <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. I had my fair share of those, so I, I, almost wasn't, even, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't even worried about it. I was, I was ready for what was coming if it, if it didn't go in. Uh, well. uh,
2: uh, 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 <laughs> All right, Josh, you were drafted by the Toronto Maple Leafs in 2010. How well do you remember that day?
1: I remember it a lot, actually. I was yeah. at home with my parents and, and uh, my nana and granddad, and we were watching the, the draft on TV. And, I, you know, and I won't lie, I was kind of disappointed. Rounds three, four, five came across, and um, I wasn't picked. So I was kind of – I was throwing a little – I was pouting a bit. I was kind of like, oh, damn, I kind of wish I was – I thought I was going to go a little higher and then get the call from the agent. Before I found out, was would you like to be a part of the Toronto Maple Leafs? And my initial thought as a kid from Vancouver was like, damn, I hate the Leafs. (laughs) 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 And then immediately after, I was like, you know what? That's awesome. Like Toronto, like hockey market, get be drafted by the Leafs was an incredible thing. And, you know, going to camp there, you really see it's on a different level being uh, uh, part of a Canadian organization, let alone the Leafs, so... Um, going to camps there and, and, you know, putting on the Leafs uh, in exhibition games or preseason and going to camp there was, was a crazy cool experience for myself.
2: Were there any players that really stood out to you when you went and you experienced that?
1: Yes, my first camp, we had like, they set, separated us us, us into four, four teams and we did like a mini tournament within the Leafs training camp and my team had an injury. One of the NHL guys had an injury, so the first game of day one training camp scrimmage, I moved up and I was in the starting lineup. And I'm with Grabowski, MacArthur lined up beside against Phil Kessel. Theodof was the team oh, had against me, and I'm looking. I'm like, "What the hell am I on the ice? <laughs> <laughs> what am I doing out here right now?" And first shift. It's cross quarter dump. I'm first on it, and Dion Seneff comes and tries to lay me out. <laughs> or I, get, I shouldn't say try. He did. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, that was kind of my welcome to the big leagues moment uh, in a camp. I was like, all right, I'm in it. Um, but that was my first memory of, of uh, being on the ice there in Toronto.
0: You had some time also in the NHL with the uh, New York Rangers. You played in the American League for their affiliate, the Hartford Wolfpack. You also played with a great team name in the East Coast League, the Greenville Swamp Rabbits. I'm still not sure yeah. what exactly a Swamp Rabbit is, <laughs> but what was life like playing as a Greenville Swamp Rabbit?
1: You know what? Life was great. I, I really enjoyed my time in South Carolina. Um, I've been pretty lucky. Uh, another thing there was we had a great group of guys every year I was there that, that really got along off the ice, and um there was a lot of golf in South Carolina. Greenville had a really cool little downtown area that was nice. Um, fans were really cool, and we had a really young group my first year, and we had a, a great playoff run there. So um, my experiences in in South Carolina were incredible, and you know I've made friends uh, there that that I'll be friends with for a lifetime. So you know it's just been I'm saying it a lot, but my experiences have been really positive mm. through hockey, and i just really enjoyed uh, the journey that I've been on. How good a
0: golfer are you?
1: I, for the amount I play, I'm I, I'm not quite good enough. I, I'd say I'm probably around a twelve handicap, maybe. But um, I'm trying to get better for sure. Yeah,
0: because I'm just thinking, okay, South Carolina. There's a lot of great courses there that are. are used on the PGA Tour. For instance, I mean, what was the the one that was just there the week after the Masters? It's always the the tournament oh, with the with the big tower in the background yes. and the marshy area around the 18th and. Can't. Uh, i know neither can i but those are the sorts of places i'd love to play i'd love to try that because i'm a golf nut but not very good at it uh, but i'd (laughs) still have fun doing it you ever get a chance to play any of those
1: i Uh, haven't been to any of those big courses i went to actually i guess i have i went to arizona uh, scottsdale a couple summers ago we played the TPC TPC. where they play the uh, waste management so that was a pretty cool experience but um yeah, I'd like to do more golf traveling for sure. Uh, we like to go, me and my friends here, go to Whistler every summer and play the courses up there. Those are really cool. So Cool. Good. Yeah, just that's when so I'm home, places. that's usually what I'm doing during the week. So mm-hmm. um trying to get better for sure.
2: How about some other hobbies during the summer? Josh, do you have anything else planned? I know in today's COVID-restricted world, it's hard to make plans, but what would a normal summer look like for you?
1: Yeah, I guess during the summer, I like living kind of downtown because there's lots to do in vancouver you know like walk the seawall go to the beach i love going to cafes and stuff and just hanging out. i really have gone into just walking around cities and kind of getting the culture of it and in vancouver here i i lived um in twas or in surrey so mm-hmm. i really wanted to experience the downtown and what vancouver is all about so the past couple of summers i spent a lot of time down here and it's been a really cool time um i've been really enjoying it
0: mm-hmm. all right Basically, Josh, this podcast is the brainchild of the Blades, and we, we invite here at the radio station Mitch uh, to come by and help uh, put this thing together, and I'm just sort of here as a guy to tell some stories and ask the odd question every come once in a while. Come up with stats like
2: you can't believe I'll yeah. well, come up with some stats because I've got <laughs> yeah. them all
0: you know, tucked away somewhere. But we also get fan-submitted questions that we put out on social media channels with the team, and here, we got a bunch of them. You're, you're a popular guy. And one of the guys, <laughs> one of the people that wants to know a question, wants to know an answer to a question, is Ward Hildebrand, who asks, favorite and least favorite junior hockey rink to play in.
1: Ooh, favorite. One. Um, fa- I got two. I think I got two favorites to play in, in diff- for different reasons. One would be, I always loved going to the Saddle Dome because you kind of felt like a pro. Like you're yep. where the Flames played. That was always a really cool cool time and Mm -hmm. the other one was the crush can playing against the Warriors there was it was unlike any other game I guess in the same sense going to the art house or that for playoffs was another crazy time and crazy atmosphere so those those two road rinks are probably the ones that I enjoyed playing in the most I think I you know what all those the one I hated the most for sure was medicine hat I could say that for sure (laughs) The old bar, the old, the old arena, yeah, 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 the old Met Hat Arena. But yeah, I'd say Calgary and and um, the Crush Can were two of my favorite road drinks to play in. Yeah, the
0: Crush Can isn't there anymore. Not there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, neither is the Medicine Hat Arena. No, neither was the. Oh yeah, it's been bulldozed down yeah, recently, wasn't
2: it? I, I'm not sure if it was bulldozed, but it's, the doors are at least closed. Whether yeah. or not they still exist is another. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Whole other tale, but okay. uh moving on to these fan submitted questions here, Josh. Bemmer41 on Instagram. And I'm I know who this with, is. Terrible <laughs> with these Instagram <laughs> names. You might even know who a couple of these are too, Josh.
1: Okay, yeah, you have to let you know.
2: Okay, so he's wondering about your last year in Greenville. I know Les obviously touched on this, but who was your your favorite old guy from Sask to play with?
1: Is this Bembridge?
0: Is yeah, that is of course there? it is. <laughs> Garrett Bembridge. <laughs>
1: Yeah, he was one of them. Honestly, I, like I said, I had a lot of great teammates there, and, and that year, the last year, the Swamp Rabbit year, we had a pretty old, uh, older group, and, yeah, is part of it. There's a lot of guys. Sean Stresser, Andrew Rowe, there's some funny – Bretton Cameron, who's uh, mm-hmm. played on the Mets Tigers before. There's a lot of good guys on that, on that team. But, yeah, that's funny to hear Beamer, uh <laughs> Pipe in there with a question, trying to pump his own tires. I think. Well, of,
0: of course he is. Absolutely. Uh, this one is an interesting. The the handle on this one is from sister. And it Well, asked, no,
2: actually, the handle is not, it's literally your sister, Josh. I, oh. just, I just wrote down sister onto our little rundown that we've got here. Ah. The handle isn't sister. Okay. Good. Sorry about that. That's I should have clarified before okay, we hit so, the
0: record button. So, so your sister wants to know. I'm scared who. to what she's going to
1: ask. Well, <laughs> actually, it's pretty,
0: it's, it's actually pretty good. Who would be part of your starting lineup? Any players, new, old, and in any league?
1: Like NHL included, NHL included.
0: Any 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 starting six that you would want to oh, put out?
1: Oh wow! I have to base it off. As a kid, I loved Pavel Bure and Marcus Naslin, Two Canucks. Those are my two ooh. my two guys growing up. So okay. I'll go. I'll, you know, I'll keep it all from what I watched with the Canucks. Uh, and on D, I'll go with. Uh, ooh, I don't know about D. Actually, D is tough for me. Right now, I really love watching Kale McCarr, mm-hmm. and maybe I'll say I'll say Quinn Hughes, Canucks guy. Okay,
2: a couple of young guys. Yeah, yeah.
1: And goalie, goalie, I'm taking Holtby. Yeah. I I, I love Holtby. That was probably the best goalie I ever played with, and I'm going to go with him.
0: Okay. Um, you, the, the Canucks are playing right now. Uh, their final game of the regular season, and they're not part of the playoffs, so you don't have a, a favorite NHL team as per se in the playoffs right now. But if you had to pick one that you're kind of, your heart says, I, I hope these guys can maybe win, who would it be from this year's group?
1: It's always right now that um, one of my best friends is Brendan Gallagher, so I'm always cheering for the Habs to do well. So I think in the playoffs, that's who I'm always cheering for. But um, after watching the uh, Tampa Bay-Florida series, I really like the way Tampa Bay's been playing. So that's probably my pick if I'm going to pick a team to okay. win cool. is Tampa Bay. But I'm always – got to – I only got a soft spot for the Habs because of Galli uh, playing there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Are you going
2: to ease up on how you feel about the Habs because of that? Let's... I'm
0: not going to say anything. <laughs> We're still. I, I still like Josh Nichols, even though he likes the Habs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
2: Josh. Moving on to uh, our last fan submitted question: Is there a member of your family who goes by the name May? Yeah, that's my mom. Your ah, mom. Okay. I thought so. I connected the dots here. Okay. She's <laughs> wondering which Blades jersey is your favorite? Ooh.
0: Which is an interesting question because I think for the most part, you only had the one main logo jersey, but there was a pretty good third jersey at the end.
1: Yeah, that that uh that blue third jersey, I can't remember which year they, they first started it with yeah. the Saskatoon across it. Yeah might have been my 18-year-old year. You might have been. We had it first, but um, that's probably my favorite one, actually. Yeah. I think we wore it in the Memorial Cup against Halifax you as did. well. You did. <laughs> yeah, I would, say, I would say that's my favorite one
2: for sure. That's a good one. It's popular whenever we throw it up Absolutely. on our social channels. I'll find mm-hmm. a good picture and I'll send it off your way, Josh. I'm sure you probably have a few from those days anyways, but... In any event, no, that's a great jersey. Yeah, I love it. Oh, I've got a kind of a fun little question for oh? you. Well, it was not even, I guess it can be, I can turn it into a little bit of a question. On my way out here, leaving the arena, I ran into Steve Hildebrand, who I know that you know quite <laughs> well. Do you, yeah.
1: any, do you have any funny Hilti stories? Oh my, you know what? I'll, I'll give it to one guy, but my favorite Hilti stories always involved Adam Morrison complaining about some random injury that he thought he had and Hilti gives it back to him. Those were always my favorite interactions <laughs> with Hilti. Or or he would always run, he would always come at me. I don't know if he came at me, but he'd always feel a little frisky sometimes and try to go at guys. And I felt like he liked to target me a couple times. but... No, Healthy's a great guy. Him and Spike made the experience in the room very great, and and uh, hanging out. I I always hang out in the training trainer's room, so I spent a lot of time with Healthy. So happy to see him doing great, and and like I said before before the podcast, excited to get back out to Saskatoon and see everyone again.
2: Good stuff. Excellent, Josh. Well, thank you so much for the time. It sounds like you've got a busy summer ahead of you. Best of luck this upcoming hockey season. I trust you're, you have plans to head back overseas? Yeah,
1: yeah. Just uh, trying to figure out where exactly still. So stay tuned with that. Excellent. I okay. definitely will. I want to
0: find out so that maybe if I can finally get out of this COVID thing, I can take a trip somewhere. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, sounds good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And if you're ever in Saskatoon, Josh, reach out. Yes, Thanks. absolutely. Please. I for sure will. Good. Excellent. All right. Take care, okay?
1: Thanks, Josh. All right. Stay safe, guys.
2: Yeah, you, you too. too. Good talking to you. Josh Nichols, former assistant captain and a career blade coming on, sharing some of his finer tales from his days in a blades jersey. I'm sure you remember Josh quite well. Hey, Les. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Josh <laughs> Josh was a pretty fun-loving guy that had an enormous amount of talent. And uh, uh, like I mentioned, the game in Portland. There was others I'm sure that I could probably – Pick out uh, from, you know, having big nights on behalf of the Blades, uh, scoring shorthanded goals, scoring power play goals, you know, scoring yeah. from all over the place. He had that ability. And as I said earlier, uh, you know, the numbers that he piled up, nobody in, since 2000 has had that kind of career, have piled up that type of career numbers yeah. with the Saskatoon Blades like Josh Nichols had. So.
2: Very true. And there were a number of trivia questions that I had kind of muddled around within my head. Mm. I came up with one here that will take a little bit of research. I was actually mm. talking with Al Alexander, last week's winner, just about some of the questions, some of the answers. And he's, you know, he's a dedicated listener. and he, he submits an, a, an answer as often as he can. But so I'm trying to challenge him as well as the rest of the regular ah. listeners for this one. Now, Josh had the opportunity to represent Canada in the 2008 U-17 World Hockey Championships. We all, we of course know that he's dipped his toes into the, into the international market recently, professionally. Yep. But his first international taste came mm-hmm. at this tournament. What team did he play on? Yep. And what medal, if any, did he win?
1: Mm.
0: Well, I know for sure what team he played on based on where he's from. And I'd have to do the research then in order to figure out if indeed that team won a medal and go on from there.
2: We'll have to see. Okay, if you know the answer, head to saskatoonblades.com, find the Blades Uncut podcast located in the interactive tab. Fill out the form, submit your answer that way. You could win a $20 gift card to the Frozen Pond. These are digital gift cards as well. I know that I've already kind of honked the horn on this a couple of different times, but if you win, you'll be given a special code for a $20 discount to the Frozen Pond, and like I was saying earlier in this episode, there's a lot of cool stuff at the Frozen Pond. Oh, yeah. Okay, a lot of good stuff, new inventory, new stock coming out. Recently, speaking of inventory and stock, we just held our jersey auction online Mm -hmm. and uh, very successful. A huge thank you to all of our fans and a couple of the uh, hockey parents who threw in a decent amount of money to get these game-worn jerseys. So it was very successful. Thanks to all for the support there. Uh, But again, I'll just quickly recap the trivia question. Josh had the opportunity to represent Canada in the 2008 World U-17 Hockey Championship. What team did he play for? And which medal, if any,
0: did Mm -hmm. he win? All right. Now, of course, Blades Uncut, the 37th episode, which we are just about wrapping up. is a presentation of Original 16, Great Western Brewery, uh, the Unsung Brewery with the Unsung Brew, Original 16. And uh, we also want to mention, of course, Save On Foods, a sponsor of the Blades Uncut podcast. Let Save On Foods do the shopping for you. Shop online today at saveonfoods.com. And you may have to have a few snacks from Save on Foods close by, watching the television coming up with the golf yeah, this right. weekend. A big week in the PGA.
2: PGA Championship takes place at the Ocean Course in Kauai Island. Second I'm excited. major. Well, Second I, know you're, I know you're excited. I know. I'm pretty amped up about this one.
0: <laughs> I, okay. Sorry. Continue. No, that's okay. I, I mean, I'm just looking at the notes you mentioned here and the fact that Kiowa Island has added 200 yards since Rory McIlroy won by eight strokes in 2012. Rory hasn't lost any distance, not that I'm aware of, in, in, in the, the last nine years. If, if distance, anything, he's gained yeah. because technology continues to evolve, and everybody's got the ability to uh, to do that. So the course now is more than 7,800 yards in total. Yeah, is there enough room? For some of these golf courses with the lengths that they're going to in order to, you know, contain some of these big hitters, and <sighs> do you have enough water and or trees and or sand in order to, you know, make things difficult for them that they have to finesse it a little bit or you just tee it up, bomb away and go chase it down and bomb it away again? Well... I mean,
2: Kiowa Island, for instance, has plenty of space because it's kind of wraps around in almost a circle formation on the island. Mm. It will have like four holes going one direction, four holes going the next direction. And given the ge- the geography and like just how it's laid out, they do have room to expand. They could have expanded it a lot more than just the 7850 or however Kay. long it is. Right. But there are a lot of courses that might not have the ability to lengthen. Like Kiowa Island. Yeah.
0: Okay. So when it comes down to that sort of a thing. <laughs> yeah. With that kind of distance. I know that you don't that like that kind the distance of length, game. No, I don't. <laughs> I, I like the ability to think a little bit. That sometimes instead of using the driver automatically, on par far, par fours and par fives, you may have to think about using an iron off the tee mm. or hitting a you know three medal or a five medal in order to get yourself into a position at a good yardage with which to come into a green. To me, th- the, to me that's what golf is, is, is having to adapt to situations and especially ever-changing wind conditions, which could be an issue come this PGA Championship yeah, right. on Kiowa Island. The fact that this is not the US Open, where you would see the rough... Thrown out, yeah. I mean, it might be a little bit, but It'll generally the PGA yeah. likes to have, you know, the big, the, the, the yeah. nice low scores and, and make it entertaining in that respect. So fine. Yeah. If, if with that in mind, I think right away, a guys that have to be considered seriously, much as I don't want him to, Bryson DeChambeau. Bryson DeChambeau, yeah. Becomes a guy, Dustin Johnson, I think has to be looked at. Yeah. Rory McIlroy, you have to give him an opportunity. Anybody who hits it consistently, 330 yards plus... Mm-hmm. And I think that's now become the new benchmark. It used to be 300 yards. Now yeah. it's 330 plus. And anybody who can do that consistently, regardless of the conditions and can find the fairway, even though the rough isn't all that hard, you know, isn't all that grown out. But I think if you can bomb it out there consistently and keep it findable and have a decent second shot, you have a chance to win. But those are the guys, those are the three that, come to, right that come to mind right yeah. away. You know, I'll let me throw a fourth in there. John Rahm, who I mentioned for the John Masters, Rom, yeah. and and d- 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 didn't happen for him. It I like John Rahm because he yeah. has he has that short backswing, yeah. which I have as well in my game, <laughs> but only because my right shoulder kills me if I try to go all the way around. All the way around ah.
2: like Bryson does. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's got a wild swing. Oh. You know, when Bryson first came out, and I know that we've talked back and forth a little bit yep. about this. When Bryson first came out, I didn't like him. Mm. Didn't like him. Now... I mean, I'm not going to say that I've, I've jumped on the bandwagon of liking the long game, but you know what he has done is he's fueled a new generation of golfers and it's gotten people talking, yeah. which is great for the game. Oh, it absolutely. Is. Conversation yeah. is a great thing. Rory has acknowledged the distance that Bryson DeChambeau is throwing it out there, and he's tried to lengthen his game because of it. Mm. Dustin Johnson has always been there with the long game. But then when you look at guys like Jordan Spieth, where they don't have the long game, they do need to try to find that finesse factor on the golf course. So I do think I do think, you know, there are a lot of really good golfers who are great golfers not because of the long game.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know what I mean? Mhm. So and, you know, you look at Kia uh, Island. Do I am I saying that correctly? Kiowa Kiowa. Okay, mm-hmm. I've heard it pronounced a couple of different ways and for whatever reason my vocal cords don't want to work whenever I see that <laughs> word, but Kiowa Island does appeal to the longer hitter. Yep. And that's where Rory really excelled back in 2012. Mm-hmm. He won by eight strokes because he had the distance and the accuracy for that. Yep. I think that's going to be more magnified this year. If you can hit it far, I don't think you need to hit it 330 plus because even if you are hitting a 330 plus, you're still going to be left with a 5, 6, 7 iron into the green.
0: Could be. Depending. I mean, depending. when you have a 510-yard par 4, yeah. of which many of them are, to me, 510 yards is a par 5. And in my case, it's, it's probably a yeah. par seven. Uh, well, but but, but five hundred and ten yeah. yards used to always be anytime you got mm-hmm. five hundred yards and above, that was a par five. And yes, yeah. you you were it was risk and reward to try and go for it in two or or lay up and and play on in third. Right. Nowadays, you hit a five hundred and ten yard par four. Some guys, like you say, are still hitting five and six irons in yeah. on their second shots. If you do, if you have the distance, if you don't have the distance, though. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, that 510-yard par four second shot coming from more than 200 yards is is now suddenly a long iron or even a five or seven metal in. And you don't have the control that you would, obviously, with a five or six iron.
2: Yeah. So
0: that's where the length hitters come into play. That's right. The math, I mean, because
2: it is a math game. If you got a 550-yard par four, which are starting to become a little bit more popular… You hit it 300 yards, you're left with 250 out. That's crazy. And today's tour pros can hit, you know, a four iron and I know they can. You know? Bryson can hit his seven iron 240. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's crazy. I know, right? I do like the Bryson DeChambeau mm-hmm. pick. I think he's going to be in contention if he can keep it in the fairway, but it's going to be windy and gusty this weekend.
0: Two and weeks from now on the Golf Uncut Podcast. Yeah, I know. <laughs>
2: Right? I know. I know. Hey, it's it's I mean, great. It's a talking I'm, point. Uh, it is
0: a talking right? point. I'm I'm all, really is. I'm all over are talking
2: it. about it. I'm all over. We it. saved it for the end of the podcast yes. episode, at least. <laughs> if I had to throw my name into a hat, I really like Xander Shoffley. I think his game. Yeah, is really there's a guy that's close. A long way. He's, yeah. Close. Yeah. he's close. he's close. He's close. I like Colin Morikawa he's obviously the defending champion and he's got something to prove. He's a young guy, but he's also inside the top 10 world golf rankings. He's Mm -hmm. escalated his game. I bring up Jordan Spieth uh, earlier just because I do really respect his game. I love Mm -hmm. his game. He's him and Michael Greller have a, a, a tremendous tandem on the golf course. It's fun to watch. It's just very entertaining whenever he's out there and he's actually in contention because he's so vocal and he engages with the crowd and everyone in some ways feeds off that level of energy. So, if I had to pick, like, an all-star final group pairing of two players, I'd love to see a Bryson DeChambeau versus Jordan Spieth because those are two polar opposite-type oh, golfers. Would they ever be? But, man, would it be fun to watch. It would be. I, I agree. I yeah. agree. Sunday. 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 It'll be fun, and it's not looking like the weather's going to be too appealing on Sunday. So I think Around everyone, here,
0: yeah. Yeah, no, here, so that's you, right. So that's guess right. what you're going to be doing yeah. on Sunday. You're going to be watching whatever.
2: From Kiowa, whatever you call it. Kiowa Island. I'd... Yes. <laughs> the final round of... The PGA Championship, the second major of the season. Yes. Man. Man, oh, man. Okay, well, that should do it. Okay, we've golfed our way through this this (laughs) episode one way or another. This was episode 37 of Blades Uncut, brought to you by Original 16. A big thank you to Panky for... His all-star performance on the board. Absolutely. All-star hitting the record button, making sure our levels are all good, getting Josh Nichols on here. What a great conversation. I'm that was excited fun. to listen back to
0: I am too. on his conversation. I am too, because there's a lot of laughs in there.
2: There are. There are for sure. I know you were hooting and hollering there for a little bit. He had me in stitches. <laughs> he Les, had me in stitches. Thank you so much for inviting me back to the booth. Not we will be back with a new episode of Blades Uncut, episode 38 in two weeks.
0: For